This is loudspeaker. Hi, and welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. So I'm so happy to have a new friend that I met on a new platform, which is called Clubhouse. His name is Roman Prokopchuk, and he is a first-generation immigrant from the Ukraine who arrived in the U.S. with six other family members and lived in a two-bedroom apartment. He interned with the Secret Service and held a top-secret government clearance. But due to the recession in 2008, he became a self-taught digital marketer and is host of the Digital Savage Experience podcast. He's married and went through five miscarriages with his wife in a span of three years and became a foster parent, providing a loving and caring environment for 25 kids in his home since June 2018. So Roman, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. So I want people to get introduced to you. You know, um, tell me a little bit more about your story. Yeah, you basically like uh, abridged it in the intro. So yeah, I'm a first generation immigrant from Lviv, Ukraine, came in 1990, as you mentioned, went to school for criminal justice, interned, you know, because of the recession pivoted, you know, and then kind of fell into digital marketing, which I've done for 13 years, director roles on the agency side, different Fortune 500 clients, and I think reached the level of success there and got married, uh, started, you know, trying to have a family and then we weren't able, so we went kind of to the doctor, the infertility route. And then, you know, uh, my wife has endometriosis, which obviously makes it harder to get pregnant. And um, yeah, so we did uh, two I IUIs and three IVFs. At this point, we're actually scheduled for another cycle or another embryo transfer for next month. And those five resulted in miscarriages, two of which were back-to-back Christmases. So now Christmas has that kind of, regardless how joyous it is, it takes you back to that time and has that negative connotation. We spent over $100,000 out of pocket because a lot of, you know, ongoing and reoccurring infertility stuff, if it's more than once, the insurance doesn't cover it, especially stuff like genetic testing of the embryos and things of that nature. So, you know, we, we did that and we thought about it and we thought that, uh, you know, foster care would be a great opportunity to help kids and possibly um, adopt. We looked at adopting straight out of like uh, agencies, if you will, both uh, in the U.S. and internationally. And it's usually like a fee of like $40,000 or even more. So at that point, all of kind of like side funds have been diminished or, or depleted with the over $100,000 for the infertility treatment. So we thought it would be a great way to help kids and start a family minus we, we weren't really looking at that, the financial uh, situation at that point. So it took us about 10 months to get licensed. Sometimes it's shorter, but with me having uh, several companies and investments and then my wife uh, living in Georgia for 10 months before we got married, they had to wait on Georgia to send over some kind of like work history. And that basically held it up 
So they do basically, you go, well, we went to orientation. If you're interested, then you have somebody assigned that does basically a case study, which is like a profile on your family, you know, why you want to foster, you know, things of that nature. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you get different recommendations and stuff like that. Have a background check when that's done then basically they come and have to license your home. So you have a personal license and the that home you live in needs to be licensed for safety, amount of bedrooms, things of that nature. And that's kind of an ongoing relicensing process with that too. So we got licensed May 31st of 2018. And then next day, two little boys showed up June 1st of 2018. Um, initially, I don't know if it was a selfish desire, but I think everybody wants kind of like a baby, quote unquote, because obviously you can raise it raise the child and kind of like see the child grow. Um, and we got a call for two boys, siblings, and they said, basically, you're kind of like the last ones on the list. If you're, you are you can't say yes, then we have to split them up. And they've, all, they've been in another home and the other home can't keep them. And we thought to ourselves that these two children, the only thing they really have is each other in the system. And we said, you know, can we, can we take them? We don't know, but we, we sure can't see them being split up because that's all they had. So we said, okay, let's try it. And, you know, that was a blessing. So when we got that placement, it was positioned as that case was moving towards uh, towards termination of parental rights. So we had them for a year. The The biological mom actually got her stuff together, did everything, she, you know, she was supposed to do, which we we're proud of her. And one of the only cases that really she made an effort and she was really there for the kids and got everything together. And uh, they were reunified after a year. So obviously that's a, that's a big hit, having a child for a year and having a position like they're going to be with you forever. So we took about two, three weeks off. Uh, we had a family reunion in Hawaii, kind of uh, did that, relaxed. I had a, a month-long kind of uh, journey in Florida from conference to conference and work trips. And then after that, we started getting into it. And like I said, since June 1st of 2018, we've had uh, 25 children in our home. Currently, we have five children under the age of four. Um, we have a 13-month-old, 15-month-old, a five-month-old, and two three-and-a-half-year-olds. So it's it's a really interesting dynamic with, you know, working from home in my home office, recording in my home studio, having two dogs, running back and forth from daycare, and um, everything in between. But the whole process, I mean, we've had issues with, you know, cracks in the foster care system, especially during COVID. You know, each child had visitation, and each child is coming from a separate case. So you have to multiply everything by the amount of children from different families. So we have five children from five separate cases. So that's five caseworkers, five law guardians, five family visits, five therapists, and then you exponentially keep multiplying, and they all need services or visitation. And in March, in the beginning of the whole lockdown COVID stuff, everything got canceled. So everything fell on the foster parents. Everything moved to Zoom. Luckily, my wife, well, luckily and unluckily, she had a, a on you know in-person brick and mortar kind of office that she couldn't go back to. So she was, you know, laid off for the time being. And she had to facilitate 22 hours of Zoom calls, which is like a full-time job for, for these kids. Uh, being exposed to parents that normally we would be kind of not exposed to, some of them with uh, mental issues, uh, one of which actually called uh, the abuse hotline on us on Easter. So right before Easter dinner, the cops showed up because she made up an accusation, which she has had a history of doing so because the child was in several foster homes and they just couldn't deal with the parents, which oftentimes is the case. And she called the police on them with false allegations. 
basically the judge just basically said, please don't do that again. So we had, you know, that child, the child actually got reunified to the dad. Um, And each story is so unique and so different. And if I look back, if you asked me like a month before I started fostering, would you have this fostered this many kids or fostering in general, I probably would have said no. And it's one of those things where like, you know what you can actually do until you do it. And it becomes easy. Like I don't, I don't really know what I know because of my wife. If I didn't have my wife, I would not be able to have five kids right now um, and juggling them. But it's one of those things you you can't truly um, understand what you're capable of, or like one person is capable of, until you actually get into it and you know start attempting it. Yeah, man, I have so many questions for you. Holy cow, that's an amazing story, and you know. You know, looking back at, I, I looked up a statistic that I was trying to pull up here, and it says that on any, any given day, there are nearly 424,000 children in foster care in the United States. <clears throat> in 2019, over 672,000 children spent time in the U.S. foster care. And so, you know, I, I understand your story of looking into foster care. And, you know, I'm sitting here with the mom thinking, oh my gosh, if somebody called and said, I've got two kids or one kid or five kids that need a home and you've already gone through the mental process with your wife of, yes, we're going to take, you know, how we can help out and we're going to take whatever they can give us. Um, Like, how would you even be able to say no? I'm like thinking of things going, if somebody called, like, how would you even be able to say no? You know, once going through the process and getting the application process done. Um, And so I can see how you continue to possibly take, you know, kids in here and there. But my first question is, you know, looking at the first two boys that you had, and you had mentioned something about having them for one year. Do you always go into this process thinking this could possibly be our kids? I mean, is that always something when you get a new child? Or are you told in the beginning that, okay, most likely six months to a year? You know, what is the thought process behind that that you're given and so that you can get your mindset shift around um, fostering these children? Yeah, so it depends how much information you're given. And there's either short-term placements, long-term placements. We've had children move from other foster homes that have been already in the system that wasn't a good fit or something happened that we got for the remaining portion of them being in the system before they are reunified. And also we take something which is called respite care. Respite care is when another resource home or foster parent either is ill, needs like surgery, goes out of state or out of the country, the judge doesn't approve the foster children to go with them. They need somewhere to stay and they need somewhere to stay somebody else that's licensed in terms of a foster parent. So that's called a, a respite, which is funny because we had a respite. He actually had special needs. He got placed with uh, the four, uh, the three other boys that got placed first week of March together. And then we went in lockdown. It was supposed to be a 10 day respite that turned into a eight month placement. So it was one of those things. And it was I, I was, I felt bad for him. Um, this, our, us was his third foster home. And he was really a sweet kid. He's back with his dad, which his dad actually is a good place for him. And, and he got removed from his mom. But um, basically the person had a health issue and they were supposed to, he was supposed to be with us for 10 days. And then I think she indirectly couldn't care for him or it was too much. And she just didn't want to tell the division of child services here, rehome them. So basically after 10 days, she basically said, oh, he looks like a better fit at your home. So he, you know, he might as well stay there. So it was just like one of the things like, uh, okay. And we couldn't really say like, okay, put him in a different home because that person 
technically didn't want them in their home anymore. So we didn't want to pass this child around. Like, I mean, we didn't felt that was right. So we didn't have a special needs child up until that point. Um, and then, you know, he came and we learned how to take care of and be there for children with special needs. We had children with other things like oppositional defiance disorder, obviously ADD, ADHD, uh, frontal lobe syndrome, and all kinds of other stuff. As a result, a lot of the children were born with uh, drugs in their system that sometimes they either were born premature, had to detox before they leave, um, and, and a whole you know gambit of health issues. So that that's kind of uh, where, where I'm at with everything. And each case is so unique. But you see kind of like the gaps in each case, too. So like you see how the foster care system can be improved, how communication within departments can be improved. Some of the things that are like done and said in a gray area. So I try to go on as many shows and media publications, even if they're, you know, business or marketing or podcast related or immigration or whatever I talk about other than this and at least touch on it, uh, because I think it's an important issue. I see like like you mentioned that statistic. There is also a statistic. I believe if you look at incarcerations, I think like 40 or 50 percent of uh, people incarcerated in prisons today were in the foster care system. And usually if there's termination of parental rights, uh, the child is kind of the ward of the state. So um, sometimes they're adopted. Sometimes, unfortunately, they just go foster home from foster home and then they age out. If they age out, there's like a 60 or 70 percent chance of them a higher chance to end up in gangs. Uh, trafficked, um, you know, uh, drug use and everything in between. So it's one of those things where uh, it's it's a very sad statistic. And it's sad because a lot of people want the younger kids, like I said, you know, toddlers, babies, infants. And when it's a teenager, you know, the, the teenager is almost an adult. So I don't know if it's a thing where it's harder from a mindset of taking a teenager. I know, I mean, I know some uh, foster parents that they've had tough teenagers, um, somebody that was in our orientation class that we still maintain a friendship with, we came over, you know, and they were, and I was like, you know, how was that teenager? Well, they stole our car and totaled it. They're no longer at our home. So there's situations like that. And another one, you know, they were sneaking people in our house that were like, you know, suspect people. So there's situations like that and things to consider with older children. But the other thing, the reason we haven't taken older children is because we're looking out for the safety of the other kids in our home. Right. So if we ha- have all young children, we don't know what that older ch- child was exposed to, what he's done to others and things like that. And we're responsible for everyone in our home. So if we put you know, anyone else in risk, ultimately like we're to blame and we never want to put a child in a situation that they may have already experienced because that, that's one of the reasons they may have been removed. So my next question is, you know, if and when you and your wife do have your own children, is it something that you're going to continue fostering? I think so. Um, well, the, mainly one of the, well, I, I think all of the children we have now, if they're open for adoption, we probably would adopt them. And it's one of those things now that we care about the kids so much and love them. Now, now we kind of think, before we thought, if we have a biological kid, can we love a, a child that we adopt out of the foster system as much? Now we love the kids so much that we're saying, you know, can we love a biological kid as much as, you know, one of the children that we've cared for that, you know, that's been in the foster system. So once you experience it, you get kind of a different perspective. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, looking again at at what you sent over to me too, you know, I know that you've been through lots of obstacles, lots of hardships 
that you've not only lived through, but it sounds like you've only used it to make you stronger and to be able to shift and pivot you, you know, in order to not only provide for your family, but to be an inspiration for these kids that you're taking in as, as a leader, right? And a, and a role model. So I'd like to ask you, um, you know, who was your role model in your life or who did you look up to while growing up? Yes, I would say my grandfather. So backstory about my dad. My dad was physically abusive to my mom, my um, my grandparents, my aunt. He threw my mom down the stairs, which I witnessed when she was pregnant with my brother. So the doctor said my brother was supposed to be stillborn and with like, you know, uh, different defects. Luckily, like, thank God that didn't happen. He's you know healthy, health, uh, healthy. And, you know, he actually got a master's degree from Columbia University. So that wasn't an issue in that, in that sense. But um, it was my grandfather. Um, he was he he retired in Ukraine at 55 when he came over here. He was doing roofing for another 20 years, which is unlikely. You didn't see people doing roofing. It's a hard job. I'm in New Jersey. So he did it in the winter, in the summer, um, to the point in the summer where if you look at shingles, there's like tar under the actual, like the, the asphalt, like uh, the stone material under it. So because it was so hot, sometimes it, it melted. So he like literally singed all his, you know, leg hair, arm hair off because of that. He fell off a roof one time holding a gutter because if that gutter fell, it probably would have killed somebody. So he held onto it and fell with it off the roof, um, messed up one of his arms. And he did that for 20 years where people were coming from Ukraine and other countries just to make some money to take back. And guys in their 20s would do it two, three weeks and then said, you know, you're crazy. I can't do this. This is like super hard. So he had that. I got that work ethic from him. So Monday to Saturday, seven to six, he was there. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, he went to church. You know, he was there for everybody, try to help everybody out. Um, a really, I mean, an honorable uh, person in terms of work ethic and his faith. Um, he actually passed away um, February of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, he had a stroke. He was in the hospital for about a week, and then he had another stroke, and then he completely, completely was kind of um, brain dead at that point. But um, in the grieving process for that, and how I was coping with that, it interestingly led me to how my show in terms of my podcast evolved. So before it was a solo show, March, the month after he passed and we buried him, I switched to an interview format. I think mainly just to break up the monotony of my day because I'm remote prior to that. I've been remote my like company uh, format for the last five years. So I started talking to people and really learning. And then the conversation that came out from those were, you know, overcoming grief, overcoming challenges, different hurdles in life. And I think personally, like my podcast has helped with the grieving process and coping. Yes, it still hurts if I think about it, like I miss him. But, you know, then I switched it to like honoring his life and not, you know, grieving that I don't have him, like what impact he had on people. And then, you know, I ran with that kind of intimate interview format. And that's one reason that my podcast is now um, solely interview. And I think that's one reason I'm still motivated to do it after technically I have like 303 episodes recorded total. Um, and I think if not to say if that didn't happen, but if I stayed with a solo format, I think I would have lost interest because I probably would have found other things that I would be interested in. Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. And and that's what I do too, because I just love meeting new people and learning about them and learning who they are and how they're giving back to this world. And so I totally agree with you on that. Um, you know, you had said in in your bio too uh, that you are a heart-led entrepreneur. What does that mean to you? 
Well, from 29 to 30, I switched to a mindset. So like in that process, I founded a company. I still had, you know, a side hustle. I worked for other companies. I freelance and I had a whole bunch of roles, I guess, if you will. And prior to that, I thought like in college, I still thought it was like one of those things. You go to college, uh, you get a degree, you find a company, you do the corporate ladder thing, you stay there 30, 40 years, um, and then you retire. And then when I got into the job force, I, 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 you know, I started out of necessity with someone, which is a funny story because I met someone at the gym. They said, come out to my car. They handed me a packet about search engine optimization and said, read up on this, go online. You can do it for me. I did that for that company for about two, three months. But the funny story is, which is a learning experience, that person's cat got cancer and they spent $20,000 on the cat. So the money that I was supposed to be compensated for basically paid for the cat. And then, you know, they said, I'm sorry, but you look at everything as an opportunity or uh, what you're getting out of it, regardless of, you know, win or, or fail. So I got that experience that I could put on my resume, regardless if I got paid or not. And then I went to a company, they saw my resume called LexisNexis. Um, at that point, whatever conglomerate was over it, um, there were about 50,000 employees. And I saw like the corporate structure that I didn't necessarily want to be in. Um, the way that business was done, kind of like cutthroat, you know, backstabbing people or like, you know, just... I don't know, not very supportive and not like bringing everybody up with them because there was enough for everyone. So when I, I switched that, I added in terms of helping as many people as you see on Clubhouse. I'm, I'm on Clubhouse way too long uh, throughout the day, but throwing out free knowledge and just networking and meeting people and just trying to be as genuine as possible for people that have been in similar situations that I have and maybe learned from my mistakes so they can avoid them. So I try to be that. I try to be somewhat of a mentor and try to be there. If somebody needs help, uh, oftentimes I would like not collaborate with people because I didn't want them to steal my quote unquote clients. Now I'm happy to collaborate. And before I didn't really do a lot of pro bono work. So I do a lot of uh, digital marketing for different charities and stuff like that mm -hmm. with no charge. Now, if somebody DMs me and has an issue or feels like they're getting scammed or they have a contract, they want me to review more than happy to take my personal time, jump off and really do it. So it's more giving back and it switched mm -hmm. to a legacy mindset, helping as many people. So it w without asking anything in return. And when I switched over to that, you know, my business, the way people viewed me, um, what they actually said, said about me, people that were, uh, I was getting business from places I didn't even know who was referring. And then, then there was people that I didn't even think would refer me to anything, but I at least, you know, gave them a tip there or connected them with something and not asking anything in return. Mm -hmm. And that kind of reciprocated at times that I didn't even expect. Yeah, I totally agree. And I love how you described that too. Um, and I think it is a place of service, right? That comes first and to give. Um, I understand that as an entrepreneur, yes, you do have to um, make money as well. But when you come first and arrive with having that heart, and to be able to serve and give value and content without asking anything in return, I think it gives back tenfold, you know? Um, so I totally agree, you know, and, and hearing about, you know, how you serve, whether it's your clients or people like on Clubhouse that we're noticing that it, that has been pretty fun over the last, I, I just joined in like December, end of December. I don't know when you did. Um, like but three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like me. I was like December 3rd. I was like, all I right. I didn't fine. have an iPhone. I didn't have an iPhone either. So I took my wife's phone. I downloaded the app <laughs> and I just kept taking her phone and she just kept getting annoyed. My contract was up. A lot of my family and friends already had an iPhone. So the ease of using FaceTime and other capabilities from iPhone to iPhone was there. 
So I'm like, why not? So I got the iPhone and then I've been on Clubhouse ever since. Yeah. Clubhouse is such a great platform to have those types of conversations where you're just giving to somebody else for no other reason. Right. So looking at how, you know, you are leading in your business as well as how you're leading um, just other children and in your home and for your wife, you know, um, you're making an impact. And what I want to ask you next is, you know, what are you noticing that you're able to you know, right now your kids are young. I mean, right. But you might've had maybe older kids there or your special needs kids. What are you able to teach them? Or more importantly, what are they able to teach you being a foster parent? Yeah. So, uh, in terms of like one of the biggest thing I've seen as a dad is just to be present, like just take five minutes. So like you're walking, like, I, I mean, I have multiple TVs in my home, but there's one specific room the kids watch TV in. And if I'm walking from like the upstairs, it's a bi-level home, a split level to my office, which is like an extension, you know, I pass that room. So they basically said, hey, come sit down, watch cartoons with us. So I could have said no, but sitting down five, 10 minutes, you know, that kind of made their day. So you really don't know like the impact you're really having by just being present. So that's one thing. And then it, it was humbling and, and added to my overall kind of emotional IQ and my empathy, seeing what each child came through or came through or the situation they came from. So kids as young as, you know, two, three, four years old will probably experience in those years more than most adults have. So looking at it and not taking things for granted and not taking things too seriously. So if I get a you know, passive aggressive email or something like is not going well with business or otherwise taking a step back and seeing how, you know, these kids can still love, can still smile, can still heal, which is one, one thing it's so beneficial. We had a lot of people in the foster care system, other departments in New Jersey, you know, see complete night and day child comes, doesn't smile, doesn't interact, doesn't speak. Like two months later, they're like talking with like a British accent here apparently and like smiling and having activities. And it's just like, seeing that transformation and transforming someone from a situation of just like shutting down because of, you know, emotional, you know, physical, sexual abuse to something where they can get back to as close as they were and able to thrive and move forward in their lives is like very touching. And one of the reasons we do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so appreciative of the time that you spent with me and, you know, just learning about you and, um, hearing about you being an immigrant and having a different career and having to shift and some of the, like I said, setbacks that you've had. You know, I always like to ask my guests, you know, one last question. And throughout your life, I know that you've got so much wisdom, but what would be one piece of advice for people that are listening to this show of just trying to make the, the world a better place, just them themselves taking that step out and how could they make the world a better place? Yeah, I think whatever you put out, you're going to receive. I wouldn't say tenfold because there's that whole business 10x your business or whatever. I don't mean it like that. I just mean it. Do something like if you don't think you're going to have an impact, you don't really know what kind of impact you can have or one person may have. And really sharing who you are and what you're about, if you're passionate about a cause, a charity, something in your life, because people are watching, you know, social media can be used for good. Obviously, there's a lot of superficial stuff, a lot of highlight reels, but I've gotten opportunities to share on platforms specifically about foster care reform, what's going on in the system, because I would post a post. I got a post on TikTok, which 
I wasn't on TikTok and a lot of my content is really about uh, foster care when I'm experiencing some of the case stuff and then some podcast stuff. But, you know, the video got like 120,000 views and then a magazine from New York City reached out to me saying, hey, can can we cover you in terms of like what's going on in the holes in the foster care system and your experiences during COVID? Like if I didn't put that out and that took a minute to record, a minute to edit. So two minutes of my life to create created, uh, I believe it's like a thousand and five view hours of that one minute. So that many people viewed it and had impact on people. And you truly don't know unless you put it out there and really make an effort. Another thing, I just put up a, a picture of my kids all in little Puma tracksuits and another like Heartland uh, magazine reached out to me. Can we do something in terms of a story to feature your experiences and a little bit about the kids? So like what you're putting out there make it make it meaningful don't just mm-hmm. put superficial stuff out there mind you some people want to brand themselves like that by all means that's that's not necessarily me i'd rather use my platform for good and like i said social media can have an impact and you can have an impact as a single individual oh that's awesome that is such great advice Thank you so much, Roman, for being here uh, with me today and sharing your story and how you're making a great impact in the world. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World. And thank you, NOCO FM, for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of Loudspeaker Networks. For more on this and other programs, visit loudspeaker.fm.